If you have a commanding officer uh, giving instructions to a soldier in his army, uh, what are some of the important things he needs to tell him? What are the, some of the things that he needs to make sure that when he's giving these orders, these instructions, that he knows? He's heading off on an assignment. I mean, obviously, he needs to know what the mission is. What is it that he's seeking to accomplish? Where, where's he headed? What's the terrain? What's it going to be uh, like? There's many things he needs to know. He needs to tell him. But there's one thing that's important. Uh, when this soldier is going out on the mission, the commanding officer, if he knows at all, he should make sure the soldier knows what kind of opposition he may expect on his mission. Uh, where is the enemy located? Where are the strongholds? Uh, where might you uh, face a fire? I mean, if there was a commanding officer who knew what kind of opposition the soldier was to expect and didn't tell him, we would think he's not doing a very good job. It's a crucial thing that we know if we are headed into battle where the opposition is going to be. But not just that this commanding officer would tell the soldier what kind of opposition he may face. We would also want him to tell this soldier in the midst of that opposition, uh, what resources do you have to draw on in the midst of that? Uh, you know, who, who's going with you? What's the, the backup? Uh, where are people located to help you when you're going to run into the enemy, when you're going to face that opposition? The Apostle Paul is much like a commanding officer to Timothy. Timothy is the young mentee of Paul. And, and Paul is sending him off. This is kind of his final words to him. And he's given him a clear mission. Preach the word. Go forth, make disciples. But he would be a bad commanding officer if he did not tell Timothy some of the opposition that he might expect. And so we see throughout this letter, we've seen it before, and Paul tells us again, or tells Timothy again, uh, the opposition that he's going to face. As he seeks to be faithful to Jesus, as he seeks to preach the gospel clearly, there is some opposition he's going to run into. But Paul doesn't just tell him that you are going to face some opposition. He tells him, here's the resources you can draw upon. Here's the, the, the sources of strength for you in the midst of that opposition. And that's what we see here uh, in our text. So uh, we'll read the text together and then we'll look at two main points that Paul has for Timothy. So 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, You, uh, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. And so as I said, there's two points that Paul highlights for Timothy. Uh, two points. The first is this, living a godly life will result in persecution. 
living a godly life will result uh, in persecution. Uh, Paul begins by contrasting Timothy with what we saw last week. Last week, there were some people who opposed the teaching of Paul, false teachers. And and Paul begins by saying, Timothy, you're different than them. You followed after my teaching, not opposed it. Uh, He writes in verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So it's not just that Paul has followed, uh, or Timothy has followed Paul's teaching. He's also followed his life, his character, how he's lived his life, right? We see the patience, love, his aim in life. These are the things that Paul thought were important, not just the teaching, but the way he lived. Timothy followed after that as well. But then Paul seems to say, you, you have followed my teaching, you followed my way of life, and that means you're also going to follow in my sufferings in my persecution. Look at how he talks about, as, as he goes on, he says, you have, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And so uh, Paul here reminds Timothy of, of some incidents that happened. He lists uh, three cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. It's interesting that Paul chose these specific things to highlight. He's saying, if you're following my life and teaching, there's going to be persecutions that follow, just like in those cities. Now, Lystra is interesting. Lystra was the city that Timothy was from. Lystra was the city that probably, when Paul passed through, Timothy was there in the city. And these three cities were uh, closely connected And and Paul, on his very first missionary journey, sets out and he visits these three cities, one after uh, the other. And in each one, there is increasing persecution that that happens. Uh, The the first city Paul goes to is Antioch. He goes into the city and as uh, he did, he would go to the Jewish synagogue. He would go there and he'd begin to to preach the gospel. And the first time he goes in Antioch, everything seems to go really well. Uh, people understand that Jesus is the Messiah that Paul's been talking about. Uh, there's a lot of good response, and Paul begins spending the week, you know, discipling these new believers. When it comes to the next Saturday, though, he goes back into the synagogue, and all of a sudden, there's great opposition. The Jews there have kind of realized what Paul has been teaching, the implications of what he's saying, and it says that they opposed him. They reviled him. They even went to the leaders of the city and got them to kick Paul out of the city. Paul and Barnabas driven out of the city. What seemed to go well at first ends in persecution. So they go on to the next city. They go to Iconium. It's maybe three, four days down the road. They go there and the next uh, Saturday, they're there in the synagogue. Again, preaching, but it doesn't go as well this time. There there are people who believe, but right away the Jews are, are stirred up. There's people that oppose him. It says the city was divided It seems like there's a bunch who are really for Paul and for his message, but there's a bunch who are really against. A bunch of the Jews and Gentiles get together and they uh, make plans to stone Paul. Paul seems to learn about these plans. He and Barnabas are able to escape quickly and quietly. They head down to the next city. They go to Lystra. They they come into Lystra and things uh, are a little bit different there. Uh, When they arrive in the city, they first see a man who's crippled. And they uh, pray for this man and heal him. And the people of the city are amazed. They're like, this is crazy. Who are these men? They must be gods. 
They, they begin to want to worship them, to bow down to them, to offer sacrifices. They say, you, you're Zeus and Hermes, who's come? And, and Paul and Barnabas are like, no, no, it's, we're not. We're just men, just like you, but we want to tell you about the living God. And so they begin to preach the gospel there. But what happens is, all of those people that were really mad at Paul and Barnabas from the other cities, from Antioch and Iconium, guess what they do? They come down to Lystra. They come, they travel all the way down, and they begin stirring up the people of the city against Paul and Barnabas. The, the people become so stirred up, so against Paul and Barnabas, that they actually do stone them. They stone them, they drag Paul out of the city and leave him outside thinking he's dead. He didn't quite die though, and so when the believers come, they gather around him, Paul gets up, and he goes back into the city, and then after a day, he heads off to the next one. There's this pattern that keeps happening. He goes, faithfully preaches the gospel, and persecution comes. Now, after Paul uh, left Lystra, after a, a few days, he came back. He came back to strengthen some of the disciples that were there in these cities, uh, and this is what uh, Paul and Barnabas said to these disciples. In Acts uh, chapter 14, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so their point to these new disciples, the ones who witnessed them being stoned, is, hey, you, you know the life that we had? If you're going to follow after that, if you're going to continue in the faith, you, you need to expect the same thing to happen to you. That, that's going to be the reality. Through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom. And it's the same message Paul has for Timothy now. He's saying, Paul, uh, Timothy, if you follow my life and you follow my doctrine, you also follow in my persecution. It's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples. We see it recorded for us in John chapter 15. Jesus says to his disciples, uh, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, meaning if you were just like the world, if you were the same as everybody in the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And Paul's point is exactly the same as the one that Jesus is making. And he, and he sums it up really well in verse 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But at this point, we might have a question. Because Paul says, okay, all who desire to live a godly life, all of them will be persecuted. And we might look at our own life and we might say, I'm not really sure if I'm being persecuted. If all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted, if I'm not being persecuted, does that mean I'm not living a godly life? Possibly. Possibly. I say possibly because there are different seasons in our life where persecution may be more or less. We, we see that in Jesus' life. We see that in Paul's life. There, there's seasons of their life where there is increased persecution, but also less. But these two things are connected. 
those who live a godly life will be persecuted. If you are a soldier fighting for the kingdom of light, uh, you will inevitably be opposed by the servants who are fighting for the kingdom of darkness. If you are a soldier on the front line, you, you should expect to be shot at. John Stott was a pastor theologian in the 20th century. And he, he kind of put it this way. He looked at Jesus' teaching that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, meaning we should be in the world. We should be a part of the world. What's going on? We should be around uh, people. We shouldn't just silo, just hang out in little communes. No, we're to be in the world. But Jesus also said we're not to be of the world. We're not to be the same as the world. We're to live these godly lives. And so John Stott uh, said this. He said, if we aren't being persecuted, it's probably because of one of two things. Either, uh, it's true that we aren't of the world. We are living those godly lives, but we're not really in the world. we're, We're different, but we're not around anybody who might persecute us. We're not a part of the world. We're just living our own little siloed lives. We're not in the world. But the other option, he said, was it, it might be that we are in the world, except we just look exactly like the world. We're not any different. Why would they persecute us? If we are both in the world, and we are in Christ, we are living the godly life he's called us to, we will inevitably face persecution. Now, that persecution may look different. It may be more. It may be less. It's going to look different in everyone's life, but there will be opposition. Because what Paul tells us is it's it's about our, our life, how we actually live I think sometimes we we think those who desire to have godly theology will be persecuted. Right? If we believe these things, then maybe there will be persecution, but that's not what he says. It's not just that you believe the right things and then people will persecute you. Right? You You can believe all the right things about God, and if you just keep those things to yourself, people don't care. They don't have any interest. If it doesn't affect your life or the way you live, you can you can believe whatever you want. But if you have a theology, you have an understanding of who God is, and that actually informs the way you live, you're actually living the godly life, that's when persecution will come. I think we see this in our own lives. We, we know, even intuitively, that there's things that God is calling us to, that he's instructed in his word, and we feel hesitant to do them, because we know it will bring, bring persecution. We know that that's the case. We know that there's people who will oppose us. We know we have friends at, at school who might not want to hang out with us anymore. We know we have uh, f- tension that it may cause in our workplace when we live according to the way that God calls us to live. And and so the question we should ask ourselves is, is there something in my life that I'm not willing to embrace or do or follow 
because I know that it will lead to opposition. Is there some aspect of the gospel I'm ashamed of that I don't really want to talk about? Is there some aspect of living the Christian life that I know will bring disrepute among my friends? Things that we don't want to step into because we're scared. Because we can live, you can live a Christian life, but a Christian life that looks like everybody else around you and no one will touch you. No one will persecute you. There won't be hardship because you're exactly the same. But if we live a sold out radical life for Jesus where he is our all, he is our Lord and everything we do is in service to him, yeah, persecution will come. There's going to be things. How can it not? Our allegiance is to Jesus. Opposition is not a sign that we're doing something wrong. In fact, it's often a sign of our faithfulness. I think some of us, sometimes we worry. We, we, we stepped out and we've done things that have brought uh, relationships that have broken down. It, it's brought tension in our, in our workplace and we wonder, um, did I do the right thing? Because this seems really difficult. But the reason Paul is writing to Timothy and he's telling this to him now, he's saying, Timothy, I know what you're going to go through. I know you're going to question this. I want you to know you're on the right path. If we are being faithful, it should not surprise us that we encounter opposition for our Christian faith. Living a godly life will result in persecution. That's the first thing Paul wants Timothy to know. But the next question might be, okay, I know that it's going to result in persecution, but what do I do when that happens? How do I actually get through this? What resources can I draw upon to help me face this opposition? And that's what Paul talks about next. His next instruction is to continue in the faith despite persecution. Continue in the faith despite persecution. And he gives uh, two sources, two things that we can draw upon to help us continue. Uh, Let's read verses 14 and 15. Paul writes, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing first from whom you learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Know from whom you learned it, and that you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. What are your sources of strength as a Christian, Timothy, walking through the persecution? God's people and God's word. God's people and his God's word. Uh, Let's look at God's people first. He tells Timothy, continue in the faith, knowing from whom you've learned it. Continue in following the pattern that I've taught you. And not just me, Timothy, but but others. You can imagine uh, in Paul's mind, he's probably thinking of of Timothy's uh, grandmother and mother. Uh, Just earlier in the letter, Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. He said, I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois 
and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And Paul is exhorting Timothy, continue in this faith. The one that you learned from your grandmother, your mother, the one that you learned from me, continue in what you've learned. Don't try and change it. Don't try and uh, deviate from it because of this persecution that's coming. Continue in what you've learned. Which I think is sometimes really difficult for us now in this culture. You know, we know that in some sense we learn from those who've gone before. But I think our natural instinct is to try and do something new. We know that there's things that have gone on in the past. But we want something a little bit new, something novel, something that feels like progress. You know, we feel this especially in the area of religion. We feel like, okay, yeah, there's, you know, people have passed down this faith for so long. But you know what? It's the 21st century now. This is 2023. This is a different time. We need to kind of get with the times. We need to adjust some things. But Paul's instruction is continue in what you've learned. Continue, not, not changing anything, not modifying. I mean, we should acknowledge, you know, throughout Christian history, there, there have been lots of people who have had blind spots. There's things that people have missed in the past. They are a product of their culture and their time, and because of that, uh, there's mistakes that they made. But we also need to recognize that the same thing is true of us. We are a product of our culture and our time. And there is certain things we are going to want or lean towards because that's the water that we swim in in our culture. There's going to be things which now in our time rub us the wrong way in the same way there were other things back then that rubbed them the wrong way. And so we need to acknowledge that, that we are not somehow uh, superior to people who've gone before and we can just decide, you know what, 2,000 years of church history, they've always believed this, but I think now is probably time to change it. We are to continue in what we've learned, knowing from whom we've learned it. These are faithful Christian people who have passed down the faith from Jesus to Paul to Timothy, continuing on to us today. We need the guide rails of Christian history. We, we need Christians who are from Africa and Asia and the Middle East, from 200 years ago, from 500 years ago, from 1,000 years ago. We need those people from different times, different places. They all had their own cultural blind spots. So do we. But they all agreed on these central things. These central things about who God was, about who he is, how he's provided f- salvation through Jesus alone that the Bible itself is trustworthy from God. These are things that have been passed down to us that we can't just decide, you know, let's just dispense with that because now in our time they seem irrelevant. The Christianity that's been passed down to us is not one to be dispensed with. It's one to be cherished. So Paul instructs Timothy, continue with what you learned knowing from whom you've learned it. And I think he uh, means not just, of course, the, the, the history that's been passed down, but I think he, he also means the character of the people from whom Timothy learned the faith. Not, not just what they were teaching, but the character of the people who were teaching it. You, you think about Timothy. Timothy, you know, later on in Paul's life, Paul came back through Lystra. He picked up Timothy and headed out with Timothy on uh, various missionary journeys. 
Timothy watched Paul go through some really hard stuff. Some beatings, more stonings, imprisonments. And he watched Paul's life as he did that. You can imagine the impact that would have on Timothy as he begins to pastor his own church. He's seen someone walk in the face of suffering with joy. He's seen someone who's committed wholeheartedly to Jesus no matter what comes. And he's saying, remember that. Remember that in me. Remember what you've seen in your mother and your grandmother. People you you know, you trust, that you've seen the the godly change in their life. See, the, the, the lives of the people who teach others should testify to the message that they teach. There should be something about the lives of the people who are teaching it who show that what they're saying is actually true. Like their lives have been changed. They're ones who are godly lives. I mean, sadly, we, we see many people who actually walk away from the Christian faith because of the lives of the people who taught them the faith. They see people in their lives, sometimes it's parents or, or, or church leaders, who are not living the things that they say. And that's not always the case. There's plenty of faithful parents, church leaders, who, who have lived that out and people still walk away. But sadly, there are many who see hypocrisy in those who taught them the faith. And because of that, they want to turn away. But Paul is saying the opposite should be true. It's not that people should want to walk away from the faith because of our lives. They should want to walk towards it. They should want to go deeper into who Christ is because of how we've lived our lives. One one of the things that when we are facing persecution in our own lives, we should be able to look and say, yeah, I I can think of people who've taught me the faith. I I can think of their life and there's something different. There's a genuine faith there. There's something real and it's an encouragement to us. We've seen perhaps even how they've walked through various trials and and difficulties themselves. And we say, okay, I'm going to follow in their example. There's something there in the people that God has given us, surrounded us with, that will help us as we walk through that opposition. So a question for us. Do we live the kind of lives which will be a motivation for other people to continue in the faith. People that we've taught. The people that we're discipling, whether that's our our kids or grandkids, people here in the church, youth, people who are around us, who see our lives, are we living such a life that they can look at us and that's actually an encouragement for them to continue in this despite opposition? Do, Do they see people who in the midst of trials, do they see people who just kind of complain about it, who complain about how bad the world is and how hard everything is? Or do they see people who count it all joy to face trials of various kinds? There's there's a difference that's going to make in their own life and their own walking through trials. Do they see people who are quick to repent? People who desire, even imperfectly, to live those godly lives? Our character really matters. It's not just what we teach people. It's the character of our hearts as we teach them. That's also important. And so there is this incredible blessing that we actually have here even in this church. 
Because we have people here in our church who have been walking faithfully with the Lord longer than many of us have been alive. They've been praying longer than we've been alive. They've been walking through difficulties, through death, through pain, through suffering, through persecution. They're people that we can actually go to and see what, what does faithfulness look like? Well, it look, looks like the people here in the congregation. It looks like the people that God has placed us around. And so I want to encourage you, if you're younger, and you can decide if you fit into that category. If you're younger, please go find somebody like that who you can learn from. Go up to someone who's older and just say, hey, I would love to hear your story. Can I buy you coffee? Can, can, can I go and just uh, walk with you as you uh, parent your kids? Can I come over and babysit them so that I can uh, learn from you? Is it, you just hear these people's stories. How have they walked through difficulty? What's that been like? How, how has the Lord strengthened them in the midst of it? I, I remember even my own life, just my own prayers. I, I went to an older person in the congregation. I was like, I know I should pray more, but I don't know how to do that well. And she was like, well, here, this is what I've been doing for 50 years. And I was like, I'm going to do that. It's such a blessing to have those kind of people here in our congregation who can strengthen us and encourage us to continue in the faith. And if you're here and you're older, and again, you can decide if you fit in that. If you're here and you're older, uh, please, don't forget us. I hear that being old is difficult. I don't know, but I, I hear there's difficulties. I, I hear that, you know, it's, life is harder. You're tired. You're, you're exhausted. You've lived your whole life and there's, there's things to do. You've got sometimes grandkids to take care of. You know what? There's vacations to do that you've planned. I, I get it. Please don't forget us. Us who are younger, we really, really need you. We need you. And we need you to pour into our life because you have a wisdom we don't have. Uh, we, we need you to pour into us so that we can continue on the faith that you received from others. So in the midst of persecution, Paul says, one of the things is God's people. God's people is a way through which it's a resource we can draw upon in the midst of our opposition. But the other thing he gives us is God's word. He points Timothy to God's uh, word. Let's read again verse 14 and 15. He says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, not only is God's people supposed to help him, but God's word is supposed to help him. These sacred writings he's talking about, which to Timothy at that time would have been the Old Testament, uh, all, all of the writings that had been collected by the prophets and Moses, uh, these were things that Timothy would have known as a young Jewish uh, kid uh, growing up. And yet he says these things are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. These Old Testament scriptures were, were meant to point to Jesus and all that Jesus would accomplish. And Paul's point here for Timothy is, you know the things that help bring you to salvation? Those are the things that are going to help you continue on in your Christian life. 
The things that paved the way for your salvation are the things that are going to continue paving the path for your Christian life. Uh, Look at what he writes uh, just a few verses uh, next. Matt is going to unpack this more next week. But in verse 16 and 17, uh, I don't think it's up on the screen, but he says, All scripture is is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. His point is, in the scripture, you have everything you need to live the Christian life, Timothy. You've got God's people around you, and you've got his word to guide you and direct you, to train you up, to equip you for the things that he's calling you to do. So, Timothy, when you're in the midst of the persecution, where are you going to look? Look to what's true. All of those great promises that God had made to his people, go to those. Let those be the things you hold on to. There's wonderful promises God made to his people. And there's wonderful promises for us to today that we know that in the midst of our persecution, we have a God who is with us, who will never leave us or forsake us. We have a God who has promised us eternal life. He's got to promise us that, you know, in the midst of these persecutions, he will give us the words to be able to speak. And most importantly, we have in the midst of all of this, we have a God who walked through these persecutions for us. Right? Jesus, he led the way by example. He, he, he didn't need to be persecuted. And yet he came to this earth for that very purpose. Knowing that coming down meant that he would suffer and die. He would have people who would oppose him who would revile him, who would spit on him, and who would ultimately put him on a cross. And why did he do it all? He did it all so that you and I could be his children, could be welcomed into this family simply by faith, not by anything we've done, but simply by faith in Christ. And so when we look to God's word in the midst of persecution, these are the things we're calling to mind. The truthfulness of what God has already done for us and who he is. So, As we close, a reminder of what Paul has taught us. He has basically said to Timothy, Timothy, persecutions are going to come. If if you are going to follow in the life that I've called you to live, that God has called you to live, you will face persecutions. But in the midst of those persecutions, you have resources to draw on. You have God's people and you have God's word. Timothy, continue. And that is the word for us today. Some of us are in the midst of those things. We, we feel the pressures right now, whether we're in them or we know they can come. And the message is the same. Continue. Keep going. Like you, you have the resources there. Keep pressing on. Hold fast to the faith that's been once delivered to all the saints. The sources of strength are God's people and his word. Let's pray that God helps us. Lord, we need your help. We need the resources that you provide. And so we pray that you would give us the strength to endure, to be faithful to you, and to see the wonderful blessing of things that you have put around us in your people and in your word. Strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.